Before we finish up our worship series, part three of three, in the past two weeks we've, in the first week we've got into the presence of God. Last week Tina told us about that we must choose to worship. Today we learn about the presence of God. So, have you ever been talking to someone about church and the subject comes up of why they left the church or know someone that left the church or why they didn't even go, why they never go to church at all? And it's always fascinating what the reasons people give or why they don't go to church. You hear them all the time. People, um, I know people told me, like, I don't go to church because the Lord knows my heart. You hear that, you hear that quite a bit from some of the people that I work with. And that's, they'll go to church periodically, but more than not, they don't. They, they choose to, if you will, do it on their own. We hear, you hear many different versions of the same old story. I used to go to church. God used to be a part of my life. Then something happened. I got offended and left. If people act like that in church, who would want to step foot in church again? You hear the standard response with many variations. You know, it's just like restaurants. Went to this restaurant once. The food took forever. The service was terrible. I'm not going back. It was horrible. Not doing it. What if we did that with church? Or you go to the store and, oh, man, they're out of whatever it is. They're out of my favorite cereal. They're out of my favorite drink. You're like, that's terrible. I'm not going back. That sounds like if, if we said that about Walmart, Walmart would go out of business, wouldn't they? But, but yet we keep going back. But yet we do that with church, and then, but we don't come back. Or another response is, I got too busy. I just kind of drifted away. Haven't been back in a long time. I gave up on God. Now my life's a wreck. I prayed the other night and told God I'd do anything if he would just get me out of this pickle. I know I need God back in my life. I'm just so far away. You know, you hear, you hear crazy responses like we talked about of people leaving the church. Or maybe you've heard this one. I've heard this one before. Um, somebody left the church because they repaved the parking lot. How dare they fix those potholes in the parking lot? You know, I mean, silly stuff. You hear it all the time from different people of why they left or why they're not coming back. You know, the story that you're never going to hear. I used to go to church, but I got offended and left, or I just drifted away. You know, I had enough of God and his people. You can't imagine how blessed I've been since I decided to run my own life. Out of all the stories you hear, you're never... You'll never hear someone tell you that. Why? Because life without the presence of God can never be better. It can only be worse. Who wants to attempt life without the presence of God? Without his glory and his blessings? If you don't know what it means to experience God's presence and blessings in your life, you haven't experienced it or you haven't experienced it in a long time, I pray as we walk today and you will desire a personal relationship with God through his son Jesus. Again, we continue this week in 2 Samuel, where we've been for the last two weeks in chapter 6. Let's catch up in case you hadn't been here in the last two weeks. Samuel had, been anointed, or Samuel had anointed David the king. The problem, there was already a king. Saul was already the king. Saul really didn't want, he didn't want to give up his king position, nor I'm assuming if any of y'all were king, you probably wouldn't want to give it up either. But So he had decided to kill David. David had spent 15 years on the run, hiding out in fear of his life. Finally, after 15 years, David became, became king of Israel. It had been a great moment for David, but there was a lot of problems in the nation. The biggest problem was in Jerusalem. Jerusalem was under the control of the occupying enemy, the Jebusites. 
David had kicked out the Jebusites, but something was still lacking. There was something in the holy city that was, that was not there. It was the presence of God. It was still not in the city of Jerusalem. You know, no matter, no matter how many problems you solve, until you solve the presence of God problem, something will always be missing. David, David had recognized that life without the presence of God was empty. He was determined to bring back the presence of God back to Jerusalem. And his people, he had, David and the people, they had went to retrieve the Ark of the Covenant. The journey to Jerusalem with the Ark was quite a parade, an incredible, an incredible picture of worship and desiring God's presence. When they had finally reached Jerusalem, they placed the Ark in the spot David had prepared. A crowd had gathered. It was a big moment, a huge celebration. The glory of God had finally returned to Jerusalem. Everyone was happy about it. Everything was wonderful. Now the presence of God was restored. Life was without headache, heartache, or conflict, right? Well, not exactly. We pick it up in verse 16. As the Ark of the Covenant, as the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michelle, daughter of Saul and wife of David, watched from a window. And when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. Michelle was the daughter of Saul in every respect. We see in the daughter the spirit of her father, Saul, the king before David. He also knew where the ark was, but Saul, had, he had decided not to bring the glory of God back to, to Israel. She read my mind. Thank you. Thank you so much. He had decided not to bring it back to Israel or Jerusalem. He chose not to. Why? Why did, he, why did he not want to bring the most important thing back to Jerusalem? It's because in the presence of God, sin is revealed. Saul knew he was in sin, and he knew that would be revealed with the Ark of the Covenant back in Jerusalem. That's the real reason people, that's why they stay away from church. They don't want, to, they don't want sin to be revealed in the presence of God. We see it over and over. When someone is currently engaged in sin, they disconnect from church. Think about people you know that were... They were once in church, or they, they were active church goers, and then all of a sudden they just drifted away. You know, not, not for, if it was medical reasons, that's one thing, but something else that was going on in their life that they just drifted away. They were once here, they were involved, they were on the front row. Just anything they could do when the doors were open, they were here, and then all of a sudden they drifted away. You didn't see them again. Think about it. Then think about why, what, what else you may have known was going on in their life that might have caused that for them to to disconnect from church, to disconnect from God. That's the real reason they stay away from church. They don't want sin to be revealed to, in the presence of God. You see it? Some of you may beat yourself up about people who've left the church or people you've invited to church who came, they're not here anymore. Or those you've invited and they just won't come. I know I've seen that. You invite people and that you try to keep inviting them, keep inviting them, they won't come for whatever reason. You don't know, but they just, they just won't do it. I'm here to tell you, it's probably not your fault, not my fault, that they're no longer here. Again, God's presence, maybe it's revealed that sin in their life, and they don't, want it, they, don't, they, don't want it, they don't want it to be revealed in front of a group setting like this. Saul didn't want his sin revealed, so he avoided the presence of God. And now in the presence of God, his daughter, she had reacted the same way, even though that was David's wife. Spirits reproduce in us as well. You become like the people you spend the most time with. Everybody, we all agree to that. Yes. You know, that's why we shouldn't spend time with negative people who have a critical spirit. I don't want the stuff to rub off on me. I don't want to find everything wrong and overlook the good. You know, everybody has Facebook. Well, I don't, but most everybody has Facebook. 
You know, and Facebook has a cool little button on it that says unfollow. And we're quick. We're quick. If somebody gets, or if you're following somebody and um, you're reading their feed or whatever they've posted and you're like, well, look what she posted. Look what he posted. That's just not right. Or something. You're quick to hit that unfollow button. But yet, in our everyday lives, we may be around those people or our friends and it's the same thing. They have that critical spirit, and it's starting to rub, on, rub off on us, but we don't see it. Wouldn't it be great if we just had that unfollow button and we hit it? It's like, oh, time for a new friend. But it's not quite that easy. We fall into it because spirits reproduce. They infect us. They take us over. Be careful to be around those type of people who are continually attacking others. You don't want to fall into that trap. Instead, you want to resist the sin. The people you spend the time with, those are the ones that are going to most affect you. Think about this, too. Think about, you ever, as we get older, I know, because my wife tells me this all the time, as we get older, you're like, you're just like your daddy or you're just like your mom. Well, think about it. We spent most of our life, some of us 18 years or better, with our parents. They've rubbed off on us at some point, whether we want to admit it or not. It's not, not that, not that. Back up here. Not that it's a negative spirit or that it's a critical spirit that they have, but good things and bad things that they it may have rubbed off on us. Parents, grandparents, just like Saul, your attitude will be reproduced in your children or grandchildren. Be careful how you talk in front of them. Be careful how you talk about your church, your pastors, your spiritual authorities. One day your children will have the same spirit. Our daughter Hannah, she's to that. She's three years old. She's to that age to where she repeats everything. So I have to. I have a bad habit of being in, uh, when I drive, when I'm driving, if I'm in my personal vehicle, I believe that everybody should get out of my way as if I was in my patrol car. So sometimes I will say things like, get out of the way, what are you doing? And she can be in the back seat and she's like, get out of the way, what are you doing? And so they, they're, they're listening, they're listening. So be careful what you say around your kids. The awesome thing is you get to choose what, what you model. Michelle looked down from a window during the worship instead of looking up to God. She completely missed the point of the celebration. It wasn't about the people that were there. It was about God. Every time you're in God's presence, you have a choice. God's presence, he demands a choice. You can't be neutral in the presence of God. Will you worship? Will you respond? Will you receive him? Or will you fold your arms up and comment on how foolish everyone else is? It's up to you. He's not going to manipulate you into your worship. It's your choice. You can focus on others, look down, or focus on God and look up. Not only does God's presence reveal sin and force a choice, but also spirits are revealed in the presence of God. If you want to see what someone really is, get them around worship. Bring them to church. Bring them to a Sunday night worship service here. Get the people in your life in the presence of God. Bring that non-Christian person that you're dating or that you're friends with. Bring them to church. You say they're a good person. Do they believe in God? Bring them. Let's find out how they react in the presence of God. See what they do when someone speaks in tongues, when people raise their hands, and when we start crying in the middle of a service. Let the spirits of God help you by revealing their spirit. It should be a huge red flag if they won't come to church with you at all. For some of you, this might explain things. Your spouse gives you a hard time about coming to church. Now you understand what's going on. When you come home, he is not resisting you. The presence of God comes with you. And his presence of spirit is being revealed. Your spouse is reacting to the presence of God. Sin doesn't like the presence of God because God's presence brings conviction. 
Sin, sin resists conviction. If you get uncomfortable when you're given the opportunity for people to pray for forgiveness and accept Jesus, that is conviction. God is drawing you. We pick it up in verse 17. They brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings before the Lord. See, God or David had planned ahead and prepared a place for the ark. The tent or tabernacle was ready. They didn't get to Jerusalem and say, now, where should we put this thing? No, they made preparations for his presence. They planned. If you have guests coming to your house, you don't say 30 minutes, or I don't say 30 minutes before they get here. All right, Jenny. Look in a cabinet and see if we got some spam. We're going to have some <laughs> spam sandwiches, which we don't have spam because Jenny won't eat it, but I'll eat it. So never be offended if you feed me spam. Spam and eggs, there you go. Can't beat it. But uh, you're not going to do that. If, you have, if you're planning for guests to come to your house, you're going to make preparations. Make sure the food's ready. The house is picked up because you want to honor your guests. In the same way we plan for the presence of God because his presence is special hundreds of years later. Paul wrote to the church in Corinth about this very issue, preparing for his presence. In 1 Corinthians 3, verse 16, Don't you know that yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit's spirit lives in you? We must prepare for him. The presence of God no longer dwells in a building or an ark. Now the presence of God is available to each, of, each and every one of us. He can and will live and dwell in you. We must prepare for his presence daily, weekly. Be a place where he can dwell. If his presence seems to be missing, prepare yourself. And make a place for him. I find space for what I treasure. I make time for what I want. I choose my priorities. Jesus, you're
As it said, we must make room for his presence. You know, we prepare ourselves for so many things. The worship team practices weekly. The teachers study. Mechanics make sure the buses are ready. We edit the videos, print the bulletins, and clean the building. But don't neglect the most important preparation of all. How do you prepare yourself for the presence of God each week? Clean up your house. We must get rid of the junk he knows displeasing to him. The areas where you are displeasing disobeying him it's time for a change the the relationship you should be in end it prepare your place for his presence 
2 Samuel 6, verse 18. It says, After he had finished sacrificing the burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord Almighty. Picture this. David was not only a religious figure. He was also a political figure in his day. They didn't vote on a king, but in those days, people were known to kill a king that they didn't like. It's pretty vicious politics. Makes our elections today look pretty gentle, although they're getting pretty nasty the further we go along. Remember, there was a huge crowd assembled. They had been waiting a month and a half for the return of the ark, 45 days. David and his men had walked into the city with the ark and placed it in the tent. Now, wouldn't it have made sense for David to address the people that were there? Remember, conservative estimates, 30,000 people, probably more. Imagine he had, and remember, he's the king. He's just brought the presence of God back to Jerusalem. Wouldn't it have been, he, you'd think he would have probably addressed the crowd and it went something like this. Like this, I, David, I'm your new king. I've brought the glory of God back to Jerusalem. I've accomplished what Saul never could. God bless Israel. You know, it had to be tempting that he could have played that to the crowd. But David learned there is nothing more important than the presence of God. David had spent the last month and a half sacrificing to God. David had spent even more time in worship before he ever addressed the people. Remember, God, connecting with God should always be our first priority. Before you're qualified to minister to or speak to people, you must first have an active, ongoing connection with God. You don't, you don't have a connection to God because of your ministry. You're, you have a ministry because of your connection with God. Your primary concern is relationship with God. We're not going to stand before, I'm not going to stand before God before, for your ministry. I'll stand God for your soul. Connecting with God always comes first. If you're losing that God connection, we're going to sit you down and give you a break from ministry. If you've lost that connection here, sometimes we have to take a step back. We can get so busy in our everyday lives that we lose that connection. We always have to find that time to pray. Hit the pause button on our lives to make sure that that connection is still good, that it's not fuzzy. Remember, connecting with God it always comes first. Then we pick it up in verse 19. Then he gave a loaf of bread, a cake of dates, and a cake of raisins to each person in the whole crowd of Israelites, both men and women, and all the people went to their homes. We read it and think, big deal. So David passed out some raisins, some bread, and some dates. So what? You know, we picture him passing out the little mini boxes of raisins. But he gave more than a small box of raisins. He gave a cake of raisins, a cake of dates, and a loaf of bread. And he gave it to every single person in the crowd. Remember, there's 30,000 people there, probably more. At today's prices, he spent well over $150,000 to feed that crowd in celebration. Now, you think about that, $150,000, you can do a lot. But he chose to feed, that, feed the crowd that was there. It was no small deal, not pocket change for anybody. But David was enormously generous that day. You may read this story and wonder, what in the world is that all about? Because God's presence, it produces a generous heart. There's something about being in the presence of God and receiving from him that makes people generous. Worshippers who have experienced his presence are natural givers. Why? Because giving is another form of worship. When we sing to God, we demonstrate our love to him. We worship. When we raise our hands, we worship him. When we give, we worship him. Every time you're in God's presence, every time you worship him, you're reminded what he has given you. Eternal life and grace, forgiveness, strength. Healing, deliverance, unconditional love. He has given us so much, we just can't help but give it back to him and to others. 
Remember, God's people are generous people. They love to give to God and to others. There's something about his presence that makes us makes me generous. If you struggle with being generous, you're probably not spending enough time in God's presence. After David had worshipped and gave generously to, pe- to the people, he went home and he blessed his family. David was pumped up and excited. He ushered the presence of God back to Jerusalem. He had spent the last month and a half in the presence of God. He couldn't wait to get home and share it all with his, with his family. When you're blessed, when you spend time in his presence, you can't help but share that. You can't keep his presence to yourself. Maybe you've heard someone say this, is, say this, I can't witness, I can't talk to others about God. If you spend enough time in his presence continually, you won't be able to help yourself. It's just like if you find yourself excited about something, maybe you won something, somebody give you something, you can't wait to tell somebody. God's presence is the same way. We have to share it with others. You've found the greatest thing is presence. You won't be able to keep it from sharing. Once you've experienced his presence, you want everyone to know and everyone you meet to experience it as well. You just can't keep it to yourself. See, Michelle, daughter of Saul, and David's wife had came out to meet him and said, How the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, disrobing in the sight of the slave girls of his servants, as any vulgar fellow would do. You know, we've heard for years that David danced naked before the Lord. We struggle with this often. After all, how could that give glory to God? If the king was dancing naked in the streets, would people really be concentrating on worshiping the Lord, or would they be pay, pay attention to David? You know, think about it. We may have been taught incorrectly. Maybe he wasn't naked. Instead, he may, David may have just disrobed, like it said. Remember, it was a status-oriented society back then. Kings dressed a certain way. Kings were regarded as equivalent to God. In fact, under Jebusite rule, the king may have been their god. Priests of the day dressed another way, servants another, commoners still something else. In public, you always dressed according to your position in the society. I believe that David took off his royal robes and his priestly garments. He had ignored his position and lowered himself to the level of the common man of the day. David let all Israel know that he was not a god, but instead was submissive to God. And his wife Michelle, she did not like that. He did, David demonstrated to Jerusalem that very thing. In the presence of God, we are all equal. We are all equal. We all look the same. Nothing, nothing makes us any different. Society makes, us, makes a lot of distinctions. There's rich people, poor people, white people, educated people, black people, Latin, Latino people, Asian people, uneducated people. There are leaders, followers, cool people, and the dorks. Best dressed and worst dressed, winners and losers. Society makes the distinctions. God makes none. He sees no distinctions among us. We're all equal in his sight. God doesn't look down and say, that guy's in a nice suit today. I like his worship. Oh, what in the world is she wearing? Don't want her in my presence. When we come before God and worship, we are all equal. Romans 3.23 reminds us, all have sinned and all and come short of the glory of God. We all start as sinners, and God offers to each of us, regardless of race and color, intelligence or economic status, the same opportunity to be the part of his family through his son Jesus. Every soul matters to God. Verse 21, David said to Michelle, It was before the Lord who chose me. David patiently, he had patiently waited for 15 years, confident God's plan for his life would be realized. Think about it, that's a long time to wait. Some of you may be in that same position waiting for what, what, what his plan to be revealed to you is. Now that he's made it to the throne, David kept the proper perspective. 
The people didn't choose David. God had chose David. God elevated David to the position of leadership. You know, there's something each and inside each and every one of us that strives for position and recognition. We naturally want to be elevated to a position of authority or leadership. We want people to look up to us and respect us. But never forget, promotion comes from the Lord above. And God's way of becoming a leader is opposite of the world. God says in 1 Peter 5, verse 6, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, and that he may exalt you in due time. Who wants to be a leader? God says, humble yourself, and he will promote you in his timing. Two, two primary ways to hum, humble yourself to be a leader. First, you must worship. Then you must serve. Worship is all about humility. Worship says, I'm nothing. You're everything. I submit myself to you. Proud people aren't worshipers. Serving is humbling. The whole concept of servant leadership comes from Scripture. Jesus said, do you want to lead? You must first serve. Pastor Rod tells a story uh, when he was, um, he was on staff at a, a church there in North Texas, and uh, he was given the position and title of, uh, I believe it was assistant to the, the, to the lead pastor. And so he's like, all right, this is exciting. This is going to be a great job. I'm the second to the head man. So he, said, so he says, all right. So he, what he ends up doing, he ends up washing his car, picking up his dry cleaning, typing his notes, doing all that stuff, secretarial type work. So he does that for six months, and he goes to the uh, lead pastor, and he says, all right, now I'm ready for a real job. What do you got? And he says, all right, so you're ready for a real job. You're ready to take it over, huh? He says, six more months of it. So first we must humble ourselves and serve. David continued his response to Michelle. It was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or anyone else from his house when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people Israel. The first part of that statement that David made is probably good. God chose me. The second part, mm, not so much. It's a classic example, example of how not to argue with your wife who's fallen into that trap. David started out this response to Michelle so well, but now he took a wrong turn and revealed his human side, just as many of us do. David brought Michelle's family into the argument. Guys, have you ever made that mistake? David reminds Michelle that God chose him rather than her father and anyone else in her family. You know, you can be married to someone and you get in an argument and things are said that probably shouldn't be said, but a lot of times we do that same thing. You'll, you'll be arguing with your spouse and something comes up and you may start the mudslinging or bringing their family into it. Even if they are married to you, that's still very offensive and probably not the best idea. Even in the presence of God, you still have to fight the flesh. Just as right there, David, he's the king of Israel. He's just brought the covenant back to Jerusalem. And in that statement, the flesh took over in the end of it. Even in the presence of God, that sin would ultimately undo David. Pride was evident. The dark side of David's spirit was revealed. He was basically saying, ha, ha, God chose me instead of your father or your brother. Take that woman, pride said. Look at me. I'm God's choice, not your father or your brother. Have you ever seen somebody do something foolish to draw attention to themselves, even in worship? We all have. I've seen people justify a lot of ridiculous behavior by claiming they were in the Spirit. But with their actions or words, they drew attention to themselves instead of God. You hear, you hear people pray who have prayed for hours every week, speak horrible words of gossip and division. How can that be? How can someone be sinful when they are in the presence of God? How can pride take over? 
even in the presence of God, even in the worship service, just like the one we've had, you're still human. You will always struggle with the selfishness and pride. You still have to always fight the flesh. Your basic human nature wants to glorify itself, not God. David said, I will celebrate before the Lord. I will become even more undignified than this. I will be humiliated in my own eyes. By these slave girls you spoke of, I will be held in honor. See, Michelle was playing the approval card. She was saying, if you act like that, people won't like, think good of you. But David refused to allow himself to be controlled by someone else's opinion. He wanted to please God. If you live for others' approval, you're always easily controlled by their disapproval. It's a trap. Trapping your relationships is a trap in your worship. We are so conscious of how we look. Maybe some of us even in worship might cause us not to worship. That's our mistake, worrying about what other people think might worship. It's the approval trap. We should care about what God thinks of our worship. His approval is the only thing that matters. So I've got to say, I fell into this this morning. Yeah, I've known that I'm going to bring this message for a little over a month now, I guess. And I hadn't had really much anxiety about it. And started getting a little nervous this morning because I'm not a big fan of speaking in front of people. But um, so I, my wife can always tell when I'm nervous. I, get, I start pacing just like I'm doing now. And, uh, but then I fell into that. What, what are people going to think? So I was like, hey, what do you think I should wear this morning? She's like, well, wear, wear those pants, that purple shirt and the jacket. I'm like, ah, that's too much. He's like, well, you're always looking for a reason to wear a suit. I'm like, well, so I decided to wear it. But I was worried about what all of you would think. But it, it wouldn't matter. I could have been up here in a T-shirt and shorts. It doesn't matter what I look like or what you look like when you're worshiping the Lord. So we're reminded, whose approval are we living for? How you spend your time and money, your worship. Whose approval are you seeking? We hear Pastor Jason about it, talk about it from time to time, that he might step on some toes when he talks. But we have to remember, pleasing you is not his job. Your approval is not what matters. He wants to please God. In verse 23, And Michelle, daughter of Saul, had no children until the day of her death. When you fail to humble yourself and submit to the God's presence, you, you remove his hand of blessing from your life. You know, in God's presence, you have a choice. You can pursue, embrace, and desire his presence, or you can ignore it and walk away from it. It's entirely up to you. We hear often the blessings of his presence about the wonderful benefits of following him. But there is a flip side as well. If you choose to walk away from God's instructions, if you choose to ignore his commands, if you ignore his presence, his hand of blessing on your life, it's going to be removed. In those days, the most important thing a woman could do was have a son. For a woman was woman to be barren, unable to have children, was seen as a horrible curse and a sign of her spiritual condition. To have a child, especially a son, was evidence of the blessings of God. Michelle made a choice about God and his presence. She, told, she chose herself over God. The results were painful for the rest of her life. Nobody likes to talk about this part of it, but life without God is full of, full of a lot of risk. You risk so much when you choose to live without his presence and blessings. You risk so much when you choose not to obey God's instructions regarding your money, your tithe. When the bottom falls out, you wonder, how, how could I be so unlucky? God didn't take your money. He just removed his hand of blessing and protection from your finances. You risk, you, you risk so much when you choose to enter a relationship you know is, is wrong in God's sight. It's just like we talked about before. You know, we, we hang around people we shouldn't. We're so quick to dismiss them on social media, but then we'll stay friends with them and be with them. 
Your, your relationships minus his hand of blessing is de destined for disaster. You risk so much when you choose to live without God, to reject his, reject his plan for your life. You risk so much when you choose not to invite Jesus Christ to be Lord of your life. The, bi the biggest risk of all is your eternity. So what's our big takeaway from these three weeks? What should be your response to this story? Remember, we never should take God's presence for granted. We must prepare ourselves each day, not weekly, not just on Sundays. Each day, each minute, stay in his presence, worship. Allow God's presence to mold and shape you. I want to pray with you this morning as we bow our heads and close our eyes. We'll just enter back into his presence this morning. If you would say this morning that I've drifted away from the Lord in my worship, I don't make time for the Lord, I only worship on Sundays. Raise your hand that I've drifted away from him during my weekly as I go about my week. Or there's an area in your life that needs changing, maybe a relationship change, something that you're doing that you know is not pleasing to God, an area you need to enter into his presence and worship and have him reveal his path for you. If that's you, I ask you to raise your hand. Thank you. Thank you. Or maybe as you go through your daily lives, when you're at work or just out in the world, you're worried about what others think, about the way you look or what they may say about you, or when you're at church, the way you worship, and you cannot truly worship because of your anxiety about what they, what they think of you or what people might think of you or what they might say. If that's you, raise your hand. Lord, we come to you this morning. We thank you for your presence. And thank you for your freedom that you've given us to worship you. Lord, help us to humble ourselves and submit to your presence. Lord, show us where we need to change, where we need that change in our lives to better serve you. Let us not to take your presence for granted but enter into worship every day and feel your presence in every aspect of our lives to help us fight the flesh each day, each minute. Lord, for those of us that may have drifted away from you, let them experience your powerful presence so that they may seek you once again in every aspect of their life. Lord, and when we worship, whatever way it may be, we pray that it's pleasing to you and brings honor and glory to your name. Let us not care what anyone else thinks, because it doesn't matter. Our worship is for you, and it matters only to you. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.